Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Grok Science Show. I'm your host, Samantha Thomas. The past week has been full of charged discussions about women in science. In light of this, I'm especially happy to welcome journalist and author Rachel Swaby to today's show. Her newest book came out in April and is called Headstrong, 52 Women Who Changed Science and the World. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the, the major topic of your book is... Or, or, or the major impetus behind writing the book was you've noticed this absence of knowledge about the major impacts women have made on science and everyday conversation. Yeah, I mean, going um, a bit further back, I, um, I was a research editor at Wired Magazine for several years. Wired covers science and technology, and um, women were underrepresented in the magazine. And then, you know, a couple, I, I became more acutely aware of it um, after um, this Yvonne Brill obituary ran in the New York Times in 2013. The, the obituary started, and I'm sure you've heard about it, but the obituary started. She made a mean beef stroganoff, followed her husband from job to job, and took eight years off from work to raise children. <laughs> the world's best mom, her son Matthew said. And... Um, you know, oh, and by the way, she's a brilliant rocket scientist, one of the only um, women working in rocket science in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of at that point where it seemed like we needed better profiles of women in science and we needed more profiles of women in science. We needed to be talking about women in science a bit differently. I'm certainly not the only one to um, to think about this, but it seemed like a good way to bring a couple of, um, or 52 women to the forefront, rather, um, who, who, who made kind of major contributions, um, in history, um, but were not being talked about quite as much or, or the way that I think that we should be talking about them. I think it's a little bit of a different approach than we normally kind of see. I mean, I think a lot of people, when they think historically about women in science, they kind of see the story as well. Women never really had the opportunity to make a big impact, and that is a real problem. Um, but you're kind of saying that's that's not really the story. Women did make a big impact, but for some reason we don't talk about them as much. Right. So I think it's definitely both. There, were, <laughs> women were shut out of science for a long time, and that's certainly why we don't see more of them. That's one one thing. But the other thing is like. There are absolutely tons of people who made it through the gauntlet and mm-hmm. got their PhDs and made really, really important um, contributions. Um, and not just this, not not just like in the 1900s, but in the 1800s, and some even in the 1700s. So, so there were some people who were able to make significant contributions. And actually, you know, the book in trying to narrow down who to include, um, one of the kind of things on the Venn diagram that had to be there was, um, it had to have made a major contribution, not just have worked in, in science mm-hmm. um, during their life, lifetimes, because then I would have, there would have been way too many people to include, and still there were, but. So just kind of contextualize this for us. What, like, who are the men that we talk about in everyday conversation? There are some obvious examples, but maybe like, who are the equivalent women who made an equivalent impact that that you feel like their name should be as familiar? Oh, right. Well, um, so I think, you know, when we talk about um, DNA, we talk about Watson and Crick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we don't talk about Rosalind Franklin. 
um, you know, she didn't, she, she had died by the time the Nobel prize was given out, but, um, it's also unclear if she would have gotten one for her work. And despite the fact that she had supplied, um, several of the kind of key insights that led to the discovery of the structure of DNA. Um, so her story kind of came out later. I mean, I think hers, we generally know who Rosalind Franklin was, but, um, her story kind of came out later. Um, Mm -hmm. it wasn't, she wasn't, um, widely known for it, um, until, you know, some digging was done and it became clear that some of her work ended up in the hands of Watson and Crick and that kind of helps them solve the structure. Um, so she's one, but there are kind of a lot of other kind of pretty amazing discoveries that I would think as a child that I would have loved to know about, mm-hmm. um, you know, that uh, the inner core of the earth was discovered by a woman um, that, uh, that the ocean floor was mapped by a woman, um, you know, not all of these happen in isolation, but it was just like, these are really great stories. You know, that the dinosaur was discovered by a 10 year old girl and her brother. Um, (laughs) I would have loved to know about that um, when I was growing up and kind of interested in science. Um, But it wasn't, it wasn't what I was reading. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about a couple of the women that you kind of profile in detail in your book? Yeah. So, um, so we can start with Yvonne Brill, who I didn't know about until the obituary, but um, was just an, an amazing person. As I said, she was thought to be the only woman working in rocket science in the 1940s. Um, she was a um, she was Canadian. She grew up a child of immigrants that didn't graduate high school. Um, she pretty much didn't have any role models or a roadmap for. Um, for what she was interested in. She liked mathematics and chemistry and um, wanted to go into engineering. Um, and she, her role model was Amelia Earhart. She kind of thought, well, if mm-hmm. Amelia Earhart could fly across the Atlantic on her own, then maybe I can do the things that I want to do, even though it seemed so um, implausible. And so she, um, she couldn't get her degree in engineering because they wouldn't allow women in. So she got, she graduated in mathematics and chemistry. She bought a plane ticket to LA without telling her parents and she moved down there and started working. Um, she, uh, worked as a mathematician contributing to the design, the design of the first American satellite. Um, she went into engineering because, um, uh, in California, she was able to get, a, um, uh, an advanced degree, but then she, a chemistry degree, but she went into engineering because she thought, oh, well, chemistry is notoriously hard for women to get into, but yeah. engineering, there are so few women that she was able to kind of find her way around it. If she was just one, they wouldn't throw up too many roadblocks. <laughs> um, and she ended up um, by working nights and weekends, designing a more around her kind of everyday job um, with designed a more fuel efficient chemical propulsion thruster that helped satellites um, carry bigger payloads and stay in orbit for longer periods of time. Um, and she was, you know, this was, this was in her kind of off hours because during the day she was working on um, kind of rockets and weather satellites and the Mars observer, you know, so, right. uh, so she did it. She, she, she did all the work in her off hours. It's pretty extraordinary. And then, 
not only that, but she was hugely involved in getting other women into engineering and making sure that their work was recognized as well. Um, uh, yeah, so she's awesome. <laughs> you know, before we go on to someone else, I, I wonder if you kind of notice any patterns in these women, like maybe like recurring personality traits or something. Cause I mean, she sounds, seems like she sounds singular, like very rare. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, you know, so I think, well, one thing I'd like to say is that there is, you know, I, I don't know what I was expecting when I got into this, but there was the, 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 scientists that have succeeded in the book that they've all succeeded, but they, they all have very different personalities and, um, strengths and, um, you know, Yvonne Burl, when she, she did this oral history and she, and the whole thing was punctuated with laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every, every time she, like a roadblock was thrown up, she'd laugh about it and talk about how she was able to kind of get around it. And I think that was one thing that was common is that, um, in facing extraordinary diversity, um, all of the women in the book were ex- really, really creative about finding a way around the problems, you know, mm-hmm. many, many were not able, were told that they couldn't attend university and many, many of them found creative ways to get around it. You know, they, they got an advocate to speak out on their behalf. Um, some just worked extraordinarily hard. And so, you know, at some point they were like, okay, fine, fine, come on in. Some agreed to use like a private door and kind of be sectioned off by chairs so they wouldn't be a distraction to the men. Um, you know, just, really, really creative about finding ways around roadblocks. And I think, you know, that's, we, we talk about that a lot in education. We call it grit. And, um, and you know, this is like grit turned up to 10 hmm. in, in all cases. Um, so that was great. And, you know, I think there were some other common themes too, like having a mentor or an advocate um, seemed really helpful. You know, it's to have somebody else who has your back um, and can speak on your behalf, especially in the time when there were so few women working in science, that seemed really important. Um, And, and role models, several of the women in the book were role models to, to other women coming up. Like um, Annie Jim Cannon is an an astronomer and who's a teacher. And many of the scientists in the book, even those who didn't become an astronomer, astronomer took her classes and, um, and really, really appreciated um, having her as a role model and went on to do extraordinary things. That's wonderful. I want to talk more about role models, but um, why don't you tell us um, a little bit about another woman who stands out to you from your book? Um, so I, I really loved this um, the scientist Alice Hamilton, um, and I loved her kind of selfishly because she, (laughs) the way she approached science was like half private detective and half reporter and half, um, you know, chemist. Anyways, she was really incredible, but she, uh, so just to give you one example, um, there was a kind of outbreak of typhoid fever, um, in 1902. And, um, a friend was like, you should go and investigate. I bet you can figure this out. Um, and so she, which she did something was kind of unique at the time. She went into, um, the tenement houses in 
just around the corner from her neighborhood and started kind of inspecting things. She like went in there and was like, okay, maybe I can see something that will tip me off. So she saw all these outdoor bathrooms that were overflowing and um, sanitation was terrible and porches weren't screened in. And then, you know, there were flies everywhere and she kind of realized, well, the sewage is spilling out on the street, sewage everywhere. And maybe the flies on the sewage um, could carry um, carry typhoid onto food, and maybe that's how the outbreak happened. And so she tested the flies, and sure enough, hmm. um, they were carriers of typhoid. And so, um, you know, she there was much acclaim, and she everybody's like, ah, oh, bravo, Alice Hamilton. But she spent the rest of her life talking about this story because it was wrong. Um, she continued to investigate and found out that, in fact, it was a cover-up. Um, there was sewage had contaminated a water source and um and that was actually what did it it wasn't the flies at all and so every time people would say alice hamilton the amazing person who kind of discovered the reason of the typhoid fever outbreak in 1902 she'd say like okay no no that's not (laughs) um this is embarrassing but i was totally wrong about it but she she went on to be um kind of the foremost expert in industrial health um and she did it by knocking on doors you know she'd go to factories um, that were um, using lead and talked to the managers and then it would be like, oh, no, no, we're fine. Everything's great. And so she'd go, okay, cool. And so she'd go into the workers' homes and she'd interview them at home where they were more comfortable. She'd go to hospitals and pull the hospital records and see how many people had shown up um, for problems that were related to lead. And she found, you know, in some, some fa- in one factory, um, up to 40% of its workers had been to the hospital because mm-hmm. of the effects of lead on their work. Um, so I just really loved um, how she would kind of go to the heart of the problem and interview people and talk to people about it. And um, because of her work, uh, laws were passed that protected employees. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, her name is just really not out there. I mean, I've, I, I've never heard of her. And I mean, just glancing through this list, like I know almost none of these names and I'm, I'm a woman in science, so um, so I don't know. I, I did want to say um, that I really like how you start your book by saying I'm not going to talk about Marie Curie because um, kind of everyone talks about her as if she's the, the woman that impacted science, right? Thanks, yeah. You know, I at the beginning I just thought like, oh, well, I want to kind of raise some other names forward, not really understanding just how powerful of a name Marie Curie was. Um, And then as I started writing the book, you know, I had many months where I I was talking to people about it. Um, You know, oh, what are you working on? Oh, I'm talking about, I'm I'm writing a book about women in science through history. And every single time without fail, every single time, oh, Marie Curie, like actually not her. (laughs) And the reason is, is because she's the only person we talk about Um, as you are just demonstrating right here. Um, Anyways, not you, but all of the other people I talked about, too, about the book. So, um, you know, and she has a really phenomenal story, too, and was an incredible scientist, but she's certainly not the only one. Um, and it was frustrating as kind of I, was, I was going through this to see that there were so many um, incredible people working on so many incredible problems. And I had just never, like you, I had never heard of most of the people in the book before I started researching it. Do you have a sense of why 
Marie Curie's name has become so familiar to us? Yeah, so the, um, so I guess there's like a couple of prongs of that problem. So one, you know, she was incredibly important and, um, you know, she discovered millennium and radium and she got two Nobel Prizes. She's the only, she was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize. She's the only woman to have done it twice. Um, you know, she was the director of the Radium Institute and she, um, for many, many physicists and chemists um, around that time, you know, her success was a guiding light, um, you know, and she became kind of this one amazing scientist that lots of other scientists wanted to emulate. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when Einstein worked with these Metner, he would say, oh, she's our Marie Curie. And Mm -hmm. I think that thinking of it like that at the time, you know, it was a compliment, but, um, but it just kind of continued. And I think it, um, you know, so her name just kind of became so big. And now I think I, I bought this deck of cards, side note, I bought this deck of cards at a stoop sale across the street um, my first week in New York. And I brought it back up and I was like, oh, this is so great. It's a deck of cards, the famous scientist. I'm so excited. And she was the only woman included <laughs> on it. And so I think, you know, when we're like, oh, people think, oh, well, we need to kind of diversify the set. You know, they throw Mary Curie on and... Is that why you have 52? <laughs> I mean, that's part of it. Um, that's part of it. So, you know, just replace all of those other cards with other people. <laughs> but, um, and then I think the other thing is why we don't talk about um, other women in science. You know, I think that we have this kind of mental Rolodex of people to mention and because it's kind of socially acceptable to know Marie Curie and no one else, it's kind of easy to throw Mm -hmm. that out in conversation and um, everyone's like, Oh yeah. And it's our kind of shared cultural um, understanding of the woman in science. Obviously Mm -hmm. we know there are more, but you know, if you throw out a name like Alice Hamilton, we may not be able to talk anymore. Um, And so, you know, my, my hope is that, you know, if we just each add a few more to our kind of mental Rolodex of women who are working in science, um, you know, we'll be able to kind of make these conversations normal. Um, and, you know, kind of embarrassingly, I, I knew a little bit about Marie Curie, but because I had leaned on her without even realizing it for so long, like I actually did not, when I started reading about her life, there was a lot I did not know about it or her, you know, um, which just kind of shows you how lazy I had become (laughs) um, without even realizing it. I don't know if this is true, but is it possible that maybe being perceived as very accomplished isn't as high of a priority for women? Like, why? Is there anything intrinsic to women or is it all just extrinsic? Like, people don't give women credit. Um, Well, I think there's probably the thing that you hear about kind of women in the workplace, um, you know, women kind of undervaluing their contributions or, you know, if, if you, when men and women ask for a raise or are applying for a job, um, men oftentimes will um, kind of ask for more money and mm-hmm. kind of present with more confidence. 
Um, so I think certainly that that applies. But um, I also think that um, as in kind of everything we've been talking about, uh, you know, when people are up for awards, they kind of look around at their friends and say like, oh, he's doing great work yeah. or whatever, you know, that kind of social circles of science. Um, and for instance, Yvonne Brill's work was to try to find when those awards were being given out and, and kind of broaden the circle a bit and, um, and just say like, hey, you haven't looked at so-and-so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's doing really incredible work, just as incredible as kind of this other candidate that you were looking at. And so just kind of raising people's attention um, to other people working um, in, in the field and doing good work in, in engineering for um, an Yvonne Brill's case. Um, so I think it's maybe not putting yourself forward quite as much, um, but also kind of the social structures within science kind of reinforce. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I see we only have a couple minutes left here. Um, but I, I do want to come back to this idea of role models for a minute, um, because, of course, there are so many great examples of successful women for girls to look up to throughout history, and you pointed out a lot of them. But they, there is this sense that you have to, quote, dig for them, and that they they really, they're not familiar names to us. And so maybe as opposed to, like, um, boys growing up, young boys growing up who have heard about like Einstein and Darwin and, and Watson and all of those. And they can presumably imagine themselves kind of becoming that kind of person. Um, like you said, um, earlier, you would have loved to know about some of these women when you were young, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, and I don't even know that it's conscious, but it's nice to look around and see people, like you, and I'm not even just talking about women, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, somebody with, for instance, the reason Alice Hamilton stuck out to me is because she's a reporter and I really loved, you know, how she kind of went in and kind of grabbed the problem um, at its source, you know, that, that really appeals to me personally in the way that some of the other stories um, are fascinating, but maybe wouldn't have been much as much of a motivator when I was younger. So, um, but you know, I, 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 I loved physics when I was in high school, but there was not a, you know, we had a poster of Einstein up, but there was certainly not a poster of any woman in that classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I kind of slowly faded out of science as I got older and I, I didn't think that there was a, a place, a place for me in it. Um, you know, I, I also was loved writing and was really kind of taking off there, but you know, you kind of you kind of look back at all of those things and, you know, I definitely in high school just decided that like science and math weren't going to be my thing, despite the fact that I'd always done reasonably well in them. Um, and so I think it would be great to kind of show more stories of, of women working in science. And so, you know, if you see the 10 year old girl who spent her life excavating dinosaurs, I mean, that's so cool. Um, um, it, it's nice to have those stories to grasp onto as you're trying to feel your way through what kind of what career would be good for you and what your interests are. And um, it's nice to see kind of other people that are like you in those fields. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think that's very true. And I mean, it's not even the way you're describing it. It's not a, a discreet moment where you're like, there are no women in science. And so I can't go into science, but it's like along the way, it, maybe if, if it had been easier to imagine yourself becoming that because, you know, you see other people doing it, then, you know, a lot of girls might have gone a different way. So um, I like that analysis. Yeah, I mean, I would just challenge everybody to try and not not women and not just teachers and just everybody, everybody to try to kind of push themselves to kind of expand their references, because I think that those just that little change um, could make a very real, very big difference. Once again, that was Rachel Swaby, and her book is called Headstrong, 52 Women Who Changed Science and the World. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We'll be back next week to discuss another science topic, so please join us then. For Charles Lee Franklin and the rest of us at the Grok Science Show, I'm Samantha Thomas. Have a great afternoon, enjoy the summer weather wherever you are, and keep on grokking. <laughs>